We are talking about one of the most underappreciated eras in WWE history with a special guest. It's all ruthless aggression on this week's episode of the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. You know, I say underappreciated, undervalued. We're going to get into that tonight because we made the executive decision on this show with this particular guest that uh, we needed to talk about the ruthless aggression era for world wrestling entertainment. And of course, as always, I've got Don Jorge, the man with the plan, but not the Brian Kendrick. That being the J-Man. Jorge, he is joining us as always. I am Boss Ross. Our special guest we will introduce in a moment, one of the longest tenured fans of this show from the very beginning, uh, and also a close personal friend of mine. Again, we will be introducing him in just a moment. But before we get into Ruthless Aggression, everything involving Ruthless Aggression, kind of an open forum show, but as always, we go on tangents, we have fun, but we've got a clear direction. That's what you tune in for tune into for this show so before we get started j-man don jorge how are you sir hey buddy i'm doing fantastic uh you know it's a little cloudy out there in the mighty beautiful city of phoenix this evening but uh just still beautiful weather out there can't complain it's uh it's nice to be recording we we have had to switch up the nights on a couple different weeks here um so it's always a nice surprise when you get home after a long hard day at work and you're like ah it's podcast night all right. Yeah. Get in there. Whoop, whoop. So uh, that's how I feel. It's good to see you, buddy. How you doing? Uh, you know, I, I just finished my move. Uh, I moved from Tempe to North Phoenix, uh, completed the move over the weekend, uh, still doing some organizing, mainly of my clothes and my massive uh, movie collection. For those of you that know me at all, that's probably going to take a while because, well, I'm too lazy that I'm stubborn and I'm too stubborn that I'm lazy. That's just who I am. Uh, that being said, you can find this show. We are brought to you by Wabam Entertainment, as that is our new platform that you can find us on. That is Wabam, W-O-B-A-M Entertainment. You can find this show right there. Of course, you can also find us on one of our many other platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. Ruthless Aggression, we decided to bring somebody on this show that, uh, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, is a definite favorite of this era. The performers that we're still seeing some of them even today. We're going to talk a lot of things when it comes to performers, matches, feuds, what makes the ruthless aggression of WWE stand out. Our good friend, CP Razor, who of course has a new Twitter handle, which I'm going to let him talk about. But Razor, welcome to the show and how are you? Yeah, be back. I am doing wonderful. How are you guys doing tonight? Today, good evening, whatever, whatever. It's fine. Loving the weather. I am not looking forward to uh, triple digits, so I'll just enjoy it while I can. But uh, yeah, it's still hot here in the Valley of the Sun. Of course, I can't complain too much because weather almost everywhere else is probably worse. So there you go. 
Yeah, it's, I'm it's, not excited about it either. <laughs> yeah, you know what? The, but today was it was glorious. Today's high was like 79. Like you can't even complain about that today. I hear you on the fact that you don't not looking forward to triple digits, but I mean, 79. It was just I want to do the I I wanted to do the moonwalk today, but then I was like jaywalking and I was about to get hit by a car, so I was like I can't moonwalk right now. So I had to run. But other than that, it's glorious. So something else I wanted to mention is that uh, this show, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, are we also being streamed on your Twitch page right now, Razor? <laughs> no, no, no. I said that uh, oh, earlier beforehand. Be. No, I wish. I know. I and literally, it. oh my God, now I have to take down the tweet. <laughs> oh my God, I was such an idiot. <laughs> oh, no. That was a joke. That was supposed to be a joke. I wasn't really Unreal. streaming it on my Twitch. Unreal. <laughs> But uh, next time, for sure, you know, have me on third time. Third time's a charm. Yeah. Unreal. We promoted and now had, it. I've and had now to it's delete my happening. very first Twitter. Or Unreal. my very first tweet. Oh, yeah. By Is the this way, we... April's Fools? <laughs> yeah, only three weeks late. Hey, so uh, while we're on that subject, Jorge, why don't you tell everybody about our Twitter page that uh, you uh, just sent out an erroneous tweet on? Go ahead yeah, and do well, that. Which I had Thanks to delete. A lot, Thanks a lot, Razor. Thanks a lot, Razor. We're like screwing up. Sheesh. Screwing up our social media game. It was strong until right You're about two welcome. minutes ago. Unreal. That's what Unreal. the bad guy does. Oh, my God. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, ladies and gentlemen, we now have a uh, Twitter page, which we announced last week. Very excited about it. You can go ahead and check us out on Twitter at TDT Wrestling Pod. That is the Double Turn Podcast at TDT Wrestling Pod. We are the beautiful picture of yours truly in his wedding garment. And then Ross rocking an Oilers hat because he loves the Oilers. Yeah. Go check us out because we're pretty dope and uh, help us increase our following because Lord knows we need it. And uh, if you're wondering which one's that page, it's going to be the one that says one of us goes on constant rants and tangents about WCW 2000. The other is a WWE encyclopedia from the ruthless aggression era and up and also thinks he's a Don. Figure out who's who. Yes, that is pretty self-explanatory, but... Uh, well, since I was going to give you uh, some self-promotion, why don't you self-promote the things that you are up to, uh, Razor, when it comes to, uh, well, let's just talk about your WWE fandom and, of course, just things that you do and, and why uh, you are on this show tonight. Well, for one, I am on this show because I have met you a long, long, long time, but Mr. Ross Boss, Rastafarian, Rossi Poo, as Mr. Don Jorge would say. Um Longtime wrestling fan. I grew up with the, Ru- the Ruthless Aggression era. So, you know, that's kind of my era of uh, expertise. I can't really take too much of the Attitude era and before then. But I grew up on the Ruthless Aggression era. It's my favorite era of all time. And me personally, I think it's the greatest one of all time. But like, we'll get into that later. It could be, you know, argumentative. But, you know, that's why I'm here. Other than that, what I've been up to, uh, kind of silent on my Twitch I am now on TikTok, though, under the new name, Let Me Paint, Please. So my new handle is not CP Razor. It's not the bad guy anymore. It's Let Me Paint, Please on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitch. So a whole new deal. Yeah. So, of course, uh, I I affectionately call you Razor because that is, well, that's pretty much where everything started. And, of course, Razor Ramon, the bad guy. You even own a bad guy t-shirt that I bought you. Thank you very much. I do. Uh, so you will always be Razor to me. But again, let me paint, please. Go check him out there. So 
Honestly, I just want to jump right into this because I feel like we have a lot to talk about and I feel like I just need to get us started. So can we come to a consensus that we all agree that the ruthless aggression era started in 2002 and probably ended, some people say 2007, but I'm going to say 2008 is also included in this. Is that a consensus opinion from the panel tonight? I will I will second that. I mean, considering the fact that the last WWE pay-per-view until recently was rated TV 14 was uh, SummerSlam 2008. That was headlined by Edge and Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match. I would officially conclude that as the end of the Ruthless Aggression Era moving into PG. I would agree 1000%. I third that option. I seem to remember there being a Bash at the Beach event where there was a ton of blood and then, or maybe not Bash at the Beach, but Great American Bash or something like that, where it was like a super bloody show. And then right after that, they like stopped all blood and stopped a bunch of stuff. Maybe Jorge can help me out with that. If anything, it probably would have been because Great American Bash slash Bash at the Beach used to be a summer pay-per-view. So it would have been June or July. So if anything, it probably would have been right before SummerSlam. And remember... For those of you who don't know, so basically, Ross, yes, you're probably right. That's the first thing that I want to say. And the the secondary thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, people always wonder why exactly did WWE go PG after being such a being TV 14, TV 14 DLSV back in the Attitude Era? Like literally they were on the border of MA. When you're TVMA, you're basically, it's rated R, but on TV essentially. Um, And the reason why they did it uh, the switch from TV 14 to TV PGs, there's two different reasons um, that all connect together. One, uh, Linda McMahon was running for office. She was running for the Senator for, uh, excuse me, for, was it Senate or for a Congresswoman? I can't remember. I think it was pretty sure she was on the Senate. She was, was running for, she was running for a public office. I want to say she was running for Senator. And yes. I'm pretty, well, she was and not only, not only did she run for office, she won uh, the office uh, as a Republican back in the late 2000s, and uh, she she um, she represented, the, I believe, the state of Connect- state of New York. Excuse me, she represented the state of New York. Doesn't matter. Um, she did that back in the day. Also, Vince McMahon, as a businessman, realized that he wanted to appeal more to a family-oriented demographic. And to be fair, you look at the numbers. The numbers suggest, even though the ratings don't suggest, but the money that they made, this is what suggests it. The TVP, the switch to TVPG from TV14 was 10 times more lucrative than it ever than it ever could have been. So from a financial standpoint, it made sense for Vince back then. Not so much now, because a lot of us millennials are now adults. Not a lot of us, all of us, because I think the youngest millennial nowadays is going to be like 24, 25 years old. Um so anyways, those are the two main reasons. Linda McMahon running for Senate, and if she was going to be affiliated with, with her husband being the chairman of WWE, they needed to make a switch. And then, of course, Vince finding it also more lucrative to go ahead and be more family-oriented than it was previously. Uh, just to hop in, just for uh, just for facts' sake, not trying to fact-check you, just stating, just stating facts. Um, she ran against um, current Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, lost then ran against other Senator Chris Murphy and also lost. She did, however, 
run the Small Business Administration under former President Donald Trump. Thank you. I knew that she was a I knew that she made it into public office. I just couldn't remember what yes. exactly she was. So thank you for that clarification. So 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 during that time period that you were talking about, she was running in the state of Connecticut because that is where WWE headquarters is based. That right. is where they were residing, even though they do a lot of business in New York. Um, that is the place where she ran twice and lost both times. Um, so, but yes, that is an absolute big part of it. So um, with that change, uh, of course, um, brought on the pretty much the era that we're in now, I would say. And, and actually, maybe there's a gap as well, which we're not talking about that tonight. But um, in 2002, the WWE was in a very different state than they were even three years prior or four years prior or five years prior to be even more accurate if we're talking about it. Because, of course, the Attitude Era was in the late 90s. By the time the early 2000s came about, they were the top dog. Well, by the time 2002 rolled around, they were the only real game in town there was independence there were other promotions in mexico and japan but basically during this time period if you wanted to work in the united states you either worked wwe or you worked independent promotions um that was the reality now of course we got ring of honor and we got tna now known as impact wrestling and we've had other promotions pop up of course nowadays we have aew we have the return of nwa i could go on the point is at this time you wanted to work pro wrestling you were working WWE or you basically weren't in the business. I hate to I hate to shut down the independents at this point, but the independents were not what they were during this time period. So basically, you either worked for WWE or you didn't work in this country when it came to pro wrestling. So there was a lot of change. We had basically two companies merged together during this time, which is an influx of talent, which means... We had a lot of talent to accommodate, a lot of storylines, a lot of belts. We also had two shows to divvy up the talent on. It was kind of a critical time, not only for WWE, but for the wrestling business in itself. And so essentially how I want to start this, and I want to start with our guest, uh, Razor, and that is talk to us about some of the things that made the Ruthless Aggression era special for you not only as a fan and some of the stuff uh, that we saw product wise uh, that they were that we were visualizing during this time, given the fact that they were really the only game in town. Well, I think it was a huge, huge concept. The fact that you just had a goat tier talent roster between the attitude era coming on over. And then, of course, you had that one show and then. SmackDown was born, and then you had the draft. But just overall, I believe, you, you know, you had the best pay-per-views from that era. The best WrestleManias came from that era. The theme songs were on point. The best video games, coming from a gamer itself, the best video games came out of that era, like SmackDown versus Raw. Um, and I think it was just super interesting seeing the brand split. You're seeing superstars from the attitude era like triple h like eddie guerrero um the undertaker they did their best work even rick flair did their best work during this era in the latter half of their career and it just unmatched and to me as a kid watching this you know i'm, I'm 29 so that's where my era comes in 
So as a kid watching that, that's, you know, what everybody is talking about. All the friends at school, you know, we, we could just vibe and relate to everything happening through the ruthless aggression era. Jorge, I know you talk, uh, you talk a lot about this era. And by the way, I have never said that this era like sucked by any means. Um, but I know that you are a strong, strong advocate of this era. And now I'm a little bit older. I'm in my mid thirties. So my prime of my wrestling was attitude era. And just to be totally honest, um, by the time the ruthless aggression era started initially, I had kind of taken a break from pro wrestling. WCW was gone. The WWE had done their invasion angle, which was a huge missed opportunity. I understand there were complications. Again, that is not the show. The point is that me and a lot of other people kind of took a break at the early part of this, and we missed out on some good stuff. Now, because I'm a wrestling fan, I came back and I appreciate it for what it is. But as the staunch defender of this era on this show, because you are a little bit younger than, than I am, you and Razor are closer to the same age. I'm a little bit older. So talk to us about your experiences, your love for this era and talk about why it's special to you. Oh, well, thank you for, for giving me the platform for a second, buddy. Um, it's a special. So back in the late nineties, early two thousands, I was growing up, I was fifth, sixth, seventh grade, not to age myself, but you know, Razor said he's 29, I'm 31. So we we're right on it. You know, we're, we're right on that mix. Um, so we, we were both in elementary slash middle school right around the same time, Razor, which is awesome. So when I was watching, you know, the WWE or the WWF at the time, especially, you know, Monday Night Raw or Raw is War, uh, was really pushing the envelope like hard, right? We all know that. Not By the way, that's not to say that the Ruthless Aggression era did not push the envelope. If they, they, they pushed it about as far as the Attitude Era did. Let's be completely honest for one quick second. Shout out to Edge and Lita. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's the first thing. Um, but because of this, because of the, 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 the intensity that it was back in the day, Ross, I'm just be honest with you. I grew up with my mom, single mom. Shout out to my mom. Got recently engaged. I'm extremely happy for her. But um, there were times that she wasn't fully okay with me watching Raw. She just wasn't. There was way too much stuff going on. Like it was, it was, it was very violent back in the day. Let's be real. You know, blood, uh, chair shots to the head back in the day, like crazy. Y'all know how it was. And because of that, I kind of was forced to take a break from professional wrestling, not by my own doing, but because my mom was, was basically telling me, Jorge, I'd prefer for you not to watch this. You are 10 slash 11. I think you're a little bit too young. I was like, all right, mom, cool, whatever. When I started rewatching again was just a couple of years later, but again, I was a little bit older. So I was like 13, 14. I was in the beginning of my teenage years. And because I didn't have cable, I could only watch SmackDown. And because of SmackDown, it brought me right back in. And as I've, def I, as I've stated on about 17,963 different times on this podcast, what brought me back into SmackDown and, and back into the WWE was a man named Eddie Guerrero. I, am, I, am, I have no shame in saying I am an Eddie Guerrero mark. I will forever be an Eddie Guerrero mark in the same way that Razor is a Chris Benoit mark. 
Um, Ross is a crisp and Walmart. Um, our, our, our guest from last week, Alex, the heel from ultra heels, um, huge crisp and Walmart. Um, so I was an Eddie guy and seeing him represent my culture in the Latino culture, the Latino culture, excuse me, was something special to me. And because he was so affiliated with what was SmackDown along with the SmackDown six, Benoit, Angle, Edge, Chavo, Ray, um, I'm missing one more person. I can't think of it off the top of my head. It'll probably come back to me later. But um, those guys, because they were the only thing that I could watch, but because they made it so freaking entertaining on a thir- every Thursday night, I was hooked. And I couldn't watch. I couldn't not watch. And Ross, you said this before on a multitude of occasions, so I don't want to go ahead and take this from you, and I'd like for you to elaborate. But you have always said that Raw, for the most part, was the entertainment show, especially in, in, in the early 2000s with that, with the Ruthless Aggression era, where SmackDown was the wrestling show. And Paul Heyman made you remember every time you tuned in onto UPN every Thursday night that this was the wrestling show. And if you want to watch the best wrestling in the world today, you're watching UPN and you're not watching USA or TNN. Were you talking about the uh, SmackDown 6, by the way? I was, yeah. I was. Okay. I'm missing. So, somebody. so, so it's Ray, Ray, Eddie. Yep. Edge. Ben, yep. Kurt. Benoit. Benoit and Chavo. Oh, okay. So I did get them all right. Okay, cool. I I I wasn't too sure if I I only nope. mentioned five. I want to nope. make sure. Okay, cool. And and um, some of those guys are not always included in that list. They're they're included. Like I know some people oftentimes uh put other members of the Radicals in that group. Yeah. Uh, for that time period, By the way, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas put them uh, in that list. Yeah, and but but you were mentioning officially the SmackDown Six, yes. and and that's what I wanted to make sure. So yep. you're absolutely correct. I just wanted to make sure uh, that that was the news. Here is what I will say to kind of put a bow on this part of it. And again, we're not talking, we're not done talking about this by a long shot. But uh, for me, like I said, I had taken a small break. I had come back, uh, so probably from about. 02 and 03 I was kind of like in and out and had taken a break by the time 04 was here I was fully back um and then I had slowly really amped things up uh back when I was in college and by the time 2008 rolled around I was fully back and I have not left for the better part of you know 12 years um so a couple things I will say that made this era super great for me at least um Loved the emphasis on promo work. And the reason I say that is because, look, this this was a new era of guys. During this time period, we had the official, I mean, we just had an official changing of the guard in the women's division at WrestleMania with Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair winning titles. This was the era where they basically said, John Cena and Dave Batista are our two guys one of them is going to become a megastar, and the other one's going to be a damn important part of this era. Um, so we had that within this, and so I thought the promo game was extremely strong. Of course, we had the very strong video packages that focused way more on the character development and the story. We had longer feuds, but at the same time, we also kind of had a built-up mid-card at this point almost by necessity. And another thing I have to bring up, and I know we're going to talk about this later, they made Raw and SmackDown feel like separate entities. 
that was a huge deal for this time period because quite frankly they were their own competition so you had to make raw and smackdown intentionally different and they did a really good job of that for a while um those survivor series where it was raw versus smackdown those even though there weren't necessarily always stakes on the line and i complain about that a lot when it comes to those type of matches that there are no stakes it felt like oh you watch smackdown every week so you're gonna care more about the smackdown guys where if i watch raw every week but don't really watch smackdown i'm not as invested in those guys so of course i'm gonna root for raw exactly and i just mentioned that in the sense that because i didn't have cable all i had was smackdown so i was thoroughly invested in SmackDown than I was with than I was more with Raw. Uh, I mean, how many times have I stated that, you know, the Eddie versus Brock match mattered to me so much? By the way, let it be known right now, the triple threat that happened at that year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 20, of course, the iconic triple threat, which we covered at length back in December. And by the way, if you didn't think that that match wasn't going to be mentioned again tonight, you're an idiot. I move on. My point is... Um, I was invested in SmackDown and I cared for Raw, but I didn't care for it as much as I did SmackDown. By the way, it wasn't just Eddie. It was Kurt. It was Brock. It was it, it, it was um, Cena, obviously, back in 2004. The Big Show, um, Taker, right? All these people, those were my peeps. And by the way, this is also a Triple H mark that's speaking here. Triple H has run roughshod on Raw at this point for like the last four years. And even though he's one of my favorite super, superstars of all time, he wasn't on my show. And by the way, when he when he got traded in 2005, even for that one night, like I marked out hard when I was a kid. I was so mad when I found out Trips didn't want to work Tuesdays. I was like, I hate you. I hate you so much, Hunter. Go to hell. Even though you're my best friend. It was, you know, I, I told him to suck it. Um, so the, those things mattered, man. To me, that the stuff mattered. Um, seeing Brock attack Goldberg in 2004, it mattered because they, you, you said it yourself, Ross, and you said it so eloquently, their competition was themselves. So it wasn't the fact that they were trying to make you hate Raw or make you hate SmackDown. They were just basically trying to go ahead and show you that these different locker rooms were going to try and outdo each other every single week because they wanted to provide a level of television for you that you unfortunately were not going to get anymore over on Turner Network Television, but you're damn sure going to get it on USA or TNN, of course, when they made the move, and then for sure on UPN. You were going to get that, and that was very important to them. And by the way, you know what happened? It showed. It showed when that when when their storylines and their wrestling omitted itself through the television set. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, it, it it was sorry about the delay there. Um, you're absolutely look. It, it's 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 one of those eras where the WWE had a very big responsibility look Vince McMahon as as little as he paid for WCW right it was still a massive gamble to once again buy out more competition because Vince had slowly bought up territory after territory after territory and at this point you know 
WCW kicked their ass for about two years and then they fizzled out and then the WWE bought them. He knew that by killing his competition, he was going to drive some people away because there were people that only watched WCW Nitro every week and did not care for WWE. So when WWE came in, even though they had really good stuff going on and they had a lot of the WCW talent at this point, not all, but a lot of it, it was it, it was a gamble. And so this is that time period where you really have to, you know, get through these murky waters of all right, well we're the only game in town. Now now the might now the now the uh the magnifying glass is firmly on us. Everything we do is looked at. Everything positive, everything negative gets amplified because there is nothing else. And so, uh, Razor, do you have any more thoughts on just the era itself or uh, just anything that made it special to you? Well, the one thing that also made it special, and I wish they would bring back, is the different sets of every single pay-per-view. Because I would look forward to seeing what design they had for Judgment Day, for the Great American Bash, for Vengeance, for whatever. The the fist for SmackDown will never, ever, ever get old. Sorry to interrupt. I just need to get that in there. And you're right. It would never get old. I wish they would bring that back, too, instead of being like, okay, well, this set is going to be the same for every single pay-per-view except for WrestleMania. I wish they brought that back 1,000%. Also, the theme songs were also fire back in the day. Uh, so, so, just to, so just to tell you, this is back in like the prime like Jim Johnston era for WWE where like they had one guy doing all their music um, and it was very character-driven. There, I mean, we could go down the list of every theme song and be like, oh, that's why they did that theme song for that wrestler. There was much more emphasis on creativity. Again, it's that whole competition with themselves and trying to make themselves better. Whereas now, as you said, everything's kind of a cog in the machine. Now the technology's better. They've got the LED boards. Things are more streamlined. There's less emphasis on making it unique instead of just, okay, we can make everything kind of look the same and focus on other areas, but then they don't always focus on those other areas. It's another problem for another show, but you're absolutely right about the music, the uniqueness of the pay-per-views. I mean, I still remember the swinging arms for backlash, like just, just, just the really cool stuff that they did to make every show and every pay-per-view seem special. And that is lost now. And again, I'm not saying that they can't streamline certain things, but I think they've now gone above and beyond making everything streamlined. And I get that there are certain circumstances where you want more things streamlined, but I think they've almost done it to a fault because A, the technology's gotten better, and B, they're just kind of reallocating funds where they need to so they can kind of cut costs at the same time whereas not really making it feel like the overall experience that we used to get from these type of events. And also one thing that I miss too is the production on the promos or the promotional packages right before, let's say, a main event or right before a certain match on a pay-per-view. It goes through the entire storyline 
of what is going on just in case if you, you know, took a break, you want to come back and watch a pay-per-view. Those packages itself were not only more dramatic, but it brought me in to those certain characters. And that's something that I think that lacks today. So I think that's what makes that era truly special as well. Uh, by the way, just just another thing, and I'm sorry, Jorge, I know you wanted to make a point, and I'm gonna make I'm gonna let you make it here in 30 seconds. Another guy that gets totally unheralded during this era and previous eras, and then he went to TNA and there was a huge difference. Guy named David Sahadi, that guy doing a lot of the video production, like promos and video packages, that guy was a master at his craft. He went to TNA for a little while and did that before he started running the show and running it into the ground. But when he was only doing video packages and promos like that, like you can just see a difference of just the professionalism. And I keep going back to this phrase, just the overall importance, right? The overall, Hey, I really need to take a look at this. I really like, this is this is must see. I have to pay attention to this because they're sucking me in with how important it is. Go ahead, Jorge. Well, you know, it's funny. You guys mentioned the video packages and Ross and I, by the way, let it be known right now that they were epic then. And the funny thing is that even though the product isn't as good as it was then, the promo packages to this day still are pretty much freaking fire. The production value of the world of world wrestling entertainment to this day rivals that of any other um, sporting faction in the United States, whether or not that's the National Basketball, the National Basketball Association, the National Football League, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, uh, and you know, part and and not I'm not trying to take a shot at them because I'm I'm not I hope that they know that I'm complimenting them, but look at the look at Ultimate Fighting Championship, look at the UFC. Dana White will be the one to tell you, and he might not say that in a room full of people, but I damn sure know he'll probably say it behind closed doors. Their promo packages and the way that they build up fights, he got that from Vince McMahon. Like, I mean, let's be real. That's Conor McGregor with his strut and the way that he goes about his swagger. He got that from Triple H, and not just, not and not Attitude Era Triple H. That's Evolution Triple H. That's Reign of Terror Triple H. And as much crap as Ross loves to give Reign of Terror Triple H, the Reign of Terror was the big, the, be, the best heel work of Triple H's career and perhaps by far the best heel work done in the entirety of the Ruthless Aggression Era. I don't think that you could really make a, an argument for that. And you, you, one of my favorite bits of promo work, or not promo work per se, but production value in regards to setting up the, the building of the promo work. Um, Ross and I just covered Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock on TET's classic series three, uh, three and a half weeks ago, right? And, you know, I said this before and I'll say it again. My One of my all-time favorite matches is Stone Cold versus The Rock at WrestleMania 19, Stone Cold's last match. And the, the promo, not the promo work, but the production value that they put in to showing you the uh, what was Stone Cold Steve Austin in the Attitude Era and to the point that he was reaching in his last final days as a full-time professional wrestler. You know, they didn't tell you this is Stone Cold's last match, but the way that they put that promo package together and the way that they were showing you Rock's obsession with wanting to beat him at WrestleMania because he's lost to him twice in major main events, one of them being perhaps the biggest main event of all time at that point. 
it, it, it was that sort of stuff. It was those details. It was the nitpicking that they did that showed you, you know, this stuff matters. They, they took something that didn't matter. And I'm not saying Stone Cold and The Rock didn't matter. On the contrary, it very much did. But like, okay, we mentioned Jimmy Wang Yang earlier tonight before we went live on the air. I bet you they could go ahead. They could have made a promo package for Jimmy Wang Yang trying to go ahead and get Tory Wilson back in 2004. And it's going to matter to you, damn it. Why? Because the Ruthless Aggression Era, they knew how to hit the notes. They knew what it took to beat World Championship Wrestling back from 96 to 01 and just kept pushing forward. And for whatever reason, they just stayed hungry for an extra six years. And it showed on television. It showed when they did their promo work. It showed when the guys and the gals would go out every single night on a Monday or a Tuesday, aired on Thursday, of course. It showed whenever they went on live on a Sunday. Um, it showed in the house shows, even though I never attended a house show during the Ruthless Aggression Era. My point is, though, they just knew how to hit the right notes. They knew how to make people still be enthralled. And the production value never suffered and it never wavered. And that was one of the best things of that entire era. And we haven't even talked about the glorious promos <laughs> that were cut out, that were cut, excuse me, in, in the Ruthless Aggression Era, let alone the matches. We haven't even gotten there yet. So... I want to transition to um, something that we have talked about, and there are a couple different um, topics within this that I'm going to get to, but I want to focus specifically on the performers that made this era, okay? So the Ruthless Aggression era still has superstars that are performing today, um, maybe at a more limited capacity than they were during this time. Um, but then the Ruthless Aggression Era also had not only the new stars that they were making, but some of the guys that had become established or were getting established during the Attitude Era. And so, you know, you saw, you know, you saw Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels and Triple H and some of these other guys that came in that also made their name during the latter stages of the Attitude Era that really defined this era. So uh, I'm going to start with Razor again. Um, I want you to list some of the people that really stood out, uh, some of the performers that stood out to you that really made the Ruthless Aggression era uh, for you. Now, whether it's baby faces, heels, uh, whether it's just performers in general, talk about some of the characters uh, that you really got behind during this era. Man, there's a whole list because not only do you have superstars from the Attitude Era, like you were saying, but you had the rise of newer superstars coming up from OVW. You saw the rise of a whole new era. Um, but the ones that really, really stand out to me, of course, Triple H, shout out to Jorge there. I felt like he was building the success for the future era. He did his best work during the Ruthless Aggression era. Um, of course, you had Eddie, Chris, Benoit. You had Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Batista, Ric Flair, RVD, JBL, Edge. You even had the commentary on Raw with JR and King that just made my entire childhood right there. And then on SmackDown, you had Taz and Cole when Cole was, you know, tolerable. But nonetheless, I think all of them, including the commentary, just made it. And for me, seeing the rise of the greatest of all time, me personally, in my opinion, which is John Cena, 
and the feuds he had with either JBL or even with Edge. It those are the people that honestly stand stand out to me and what made me either a Cena fan, what made me a Randy Orton fan, because I love heels. I know as a heel, your job is to get me to boo you, but I enjoy the villains, just like I enjoy the villains in any Marvel movies or DC movies, whatever. Um, those are honestly the people that stood out to me, but the biggest one would be Chris Benoit. He's, you know, smaller guy, you know, he's really aggressive. He's very technical. I loved watching him work and he was, he still is my favorite superstar of all time. Jorge, uh, talk about some, talk about some competitors during this era that really made it special for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've already, you know, there doesn't a podcast doesn't go by where the words Eddie Guerrero don't get mentioned on this podcast. So I'm going to try and differentiate it up a little bit. You know, uh, me with Eddie Guerrero is like Ross with WCW 2000. Right. So, <laughs> uh, um, so of course, you know, you got Eddie and you've got trips, but you know, one person you didn't mention razor, uh, obviously Jericho, you know, Y2J was a huge part of the Ruthless Aggression era, right? Putting over everybody and their mother. Um, you had guys like Randy. Um, you had, you know, Brock. Brock is an interesting character because Brock, for the most part, all his time has been now, you know, from 2012 upwards, you know. But uh, from 2002 to 2004, I mean, Brock Lesnar was the man in world wrestling entertainment or one of the top three dudes in pro wrestling. It was insane. Um, a two time or a three time WWE champion, um, just a mega star in and of itself. Uh, we make fun of his matches, the way that they go down nowadays in particular with some competitors, but you look at his body of work from 2002 to 2004. I mean, I'm not going to say it can't be touched because that's a bit of an exaggeration. But let me just list off some of the classics. Him and Kurt at Rainia 19. Him and Kurt in the Iron Man match. Him and Kurt at SummerSlam. Him and Eddie. Him and Rock at SummerSlam in 02. Um, him and Taker had some stupid classics, like insane. Their first Hell in a Cell match is unreal. They had a biker chain match that was tolerable. What the heck? They had a double TQ match the month prior to their Hell in a Cell match. Um, him and Big Show breaking the ring in 2003. Him, like, destroying Zach Gowan. Was that his name? I can't remember. Zach Gow yeah, it was Zach Gowan, if I'm not mistaken. One-legged little Zach Gowan just got killed by Brock Lesnar. Um, I, could go, I could go on and on. Brock Lesnar was just entrenched in your mind. Um, I'm pretty sure he killed Rey Mysterio on, like, eight different occasions. Um, Brock Lesnar was must-see. Um, he was the, you know, I, there is a special that was released for WrestleMania 19 that they released on the WrestleMania 20 DVD set, which I still own to this day. And Ric Flair is being interviewed and he says, he utters the words, yeah, they call Brock Lesnar the next big, the next big, oh no, I'm sorry. It was Triple H. They asked Triple H, what does he think about Brock Lesnar being the next big thing? He's like the next big thing. He's a pretty big thing right now, isn't he? Like it, it, that's how, when Triple H is giving you that endorsement, you know, you've made it in life. 
Like you just do Brock Lesnar in 2002 to 2004 couldn't be touched. There was a reason why we were all looking forward to that original him and Goldberg match. And obviously that just fell apart because of backstage politics and all that good stuff. And clearly they redeemed themselves in 2016 and in 2017, in particular the 2017 match at WrestleMania 33, which is the best under five minute match you're ever going to see in your entire life. Um, but enough about Brock Lesnar, you had the undertaker, you know, you, you, you had, you had the, the 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 American badass that was late attitude era going into ruthless aggression and then reverting back to American badass who's the who 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 is the original dead man, which he brought back at WrestleMania 20. And it basically carried on until his quote unquote retirement, if you will. Um John Cena. Clearly the beginnings of seeing John Cena, one person to me who I think gets underlooked and undervalued so much is Carlito. Like you talk about great heel work back in the mid two thousands, this Carlito was a little bit different. And again, it goes back to the culture. And I know that I talk about a lot, talk that talk about that a lot on this podcast, but it's more than that. He was one of those few foreign heels that he didn't base it on the fact on foreignness. He didn't base it on the fact that he was Puerto Rican. He was just cooler than you. And he wanted to tell you that. And he didn't care if he disagreed with them. It was just great. There was a swagger about Carlito, which to me gets lost on a lot of wrestlers nowadays. Um, that was a person to me that mattered a lot. Chris Benoit, obviously, especially the WrestleMania 20 main event, Randy, um, JBL had no right being anywhere near as good as he was in 2004 and 2005. And by golly, did he prove everybody wrong? Um, the big show, I think was a huge part of the root. I mentioned right. a lot of people who were big. All right. Yeah. No, yes, I'm so sorry. actually, you know what? I'm actually going to hop in because you're literally listing like every person right I now. Am. So, all right. Uh, here's, here's what I will tell you. Um, we already talked about John Cena. Uh, somebody already mentioned, somebody already mentioned edge. And I know he was more of a tag team guy in the attitude era. He really broke out as a singles competitor during this time period. Um, Chris Benoit phenomenal, still the greatest WrestleMania main event of all time with, uh, two guys that were still also doing quite well during this era. Ya boy, triple H. And of course the, uh, the second incarnation of, uh, the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels career, which yes, he was bold enough to win a world title in brown pants for God's sake. That being said, I mean him. Um, I didn't even mention Batista, by the way. And uh, I, you know what? You beat me to it because that's a guy that did not get mentioned. And Dave Batista quite honestly deserves just as much credit as John Cena does. I know John 100%. Cena ended up having quote unquote, the better WWE career, um, but quite frankly, without John Cena, there is no Dave Batista, and without Dave Batista, there is no John Cena. Um, and I'll I'll put even more emphasis on JBL because you mentioned it with Carlito being that heel that just was just so brazen that just played that character and it didn't have to be foreign. JBL was definitively a tag team guy. He was definitively a hand. He was always either in a group or simply just lost in a tag division. And again, he had a very he had a very successful career. And then all of a sudden, he puts on his cowboy hat and goes to Fox News and is a business analyst and plays the basically his real life character. He was a stockbroker. 
turns it up to about a thousand and was easily one of the most hated people in wrestling during this era and made it work. Oh yeah. And by the way, he was the champion for about a year. So I always look towards characters that I can either very much get behind because they're baby faces or the journey to them becoming that baby face a la John Cena or Dave Batista or something like that. Or you know what? As much as we all love heels and the cool heels stuff from the NWO on forward, you know, we like heels because they have a little bit more edge to them, a little more character. You know what? I also appreciate when heels do everything in their power to be hated. That's why you will never hear me say a bad word about Baron Corbin on this podcast because, damn it, he goes out of his way to say, yeah, I'm supposed to be hated. I don't really care if you like me. I'm supposed to do this because it's my job to be hated. And that was JBL's job was to be hated. Okay. To be fair, but how many times do you take a dump on the reign of terror from Triple H though? <laughs> okay. Now I'm not going to go down this road, but I will continue to take a dump on the reign of terror era because at some point it gets old. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's fine. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Look, look, we're going to get into matches and, I'm going to praise Triple H later, okay? I will, because his 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 breakout party might have been, you know, the year 2000, maybe earlier, but I know that we talk about the year 2000 being Rock that and was the Triple, year H. Triple H. Right. Yeah. Rock and Triple H basically carrying the company that year. Um, Yeah, he was still damn annoying and damn good during this era, which, again, I'll give him praise. He was a heel that I did not want to see on television with a belt, so I guess he did his job. So we mentioned a lot of people. So now here's, here's, here's the tough part of the show. Tough part of the show. I'm going to make you narrow it down to three. The three most influential superstars during the ruthless aggression era. You can do them in order. You can just list the three. It does not matter. Jorge, I'm actually going to start with you because um, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go. Yeah. But I'm interested to see the, the reasoning behind. And again, no four, no five, no honorable mention. Yeah. You get three. So pick okay. your three. All right. Um, I'm. You know what? Three is hard because one and two are pretty easy. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Batista with number three. Oh, just a smidge over Kurt. Just barely over Kurt. Um, and that's tough for me to say. But you know, you look at Kurt. And Kurt had the entirety of the for the base for the most part the entirety of the of the Attitude Era. Um, actually, that's not even true. He was actually more of a wrestler in the Ruthless Aggression. My point is, um, because Batista, that was the breakout party for him. Um, him and Evolution. People saw him and they were like, oh, "I don't know about this guy. It's supposed to be Randy." And then he surpa- he surpassed Randy in a year. He surpassed Randy in a year. Like, do you know how hard that is? Randy Orton is like a third generation star. They're putting all their chips on him. He doesn't pan out the way that he was supposed to then. Obviously, he's clearly panned out correctly now. But Batista had no right main eventing WrestleMania 21. And he did. And he took the World Heavyweight Championship and he ran rough shot for the next like five years. And it was amazing to watch. Um, I remember the night that he got drafted on a SmackDown. I freaking pooped my pants because in a good way, because I was like, oh my God, they got Batista. You know, the, the match, the main event that night, excuse me, ah, these guys are laughing. These guys can't take a joke. <laughs> there is no, night, 
there is uh, no good form that involves you soiling yourself. Go on. Point. That's a good point. But if you guys remember, they held, I think, a six-way challenge or something like that, a six-pack challenge or five. I think it was a fatal five-way. And it was supposed to crown the new SmackDown champion because John Cena had already been moved over to Raw, so there was no champion on SmackDown. JBL wins. Teddy Long comes out. He's like, hey, player, we don't need a SmackDown champion anymore because SmackDown just hit the jackpot. And then Taz on commentary with Michael Cole, he's like, do we need get Batista? I don't believe it. Batista comes out and then he says, oh, my God, I believe it. And it's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, so Batista just entrenched in what was SmackDown in the mid-2000s. Number two is John Cena. Not, I mean, John Cena became the be-all, end-all for the next, like, 15 years. Razor says he's the GOAT. He's definitely in my Mount Rushmore, that's for sure. And he won't be coming down off of it anytime soon. The only the, the only the second person to win 16 world titles in one promotion. And, and by the way, it's the same promotion where freaking, you know, Ric Flair did it at multiple. And then number one, the most influential person in the entirety of the Ruthless Aggression Era. I'm sorry, but it, it is Triple H. Um, you, you can't deny it. Evolution, the return of Degeneration X, 14-time world champion, put over everybody and their mother, even though people don't appreciate him much, didn't appreciate him then, they damn sure appreciate him now, obviously. But he put over Benoit. He put over Randy. He put over Cena. He put over Batista. I could go on and on. Um, he put over the people that mattered. He put over Shelton Benjamin, mind you, back in 2005. Um, that, that, that gets lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah, he may have squashed the spirit squad, but do we really care? Not a hundred percent sure. So yeah, that's uh, Batista, Cena, triple H three, two, one for me. Razor, who you got? See, that's not fair. Cause he took my list from me. <laughs> so two guys, um, from his list are going to be on my list for sure. But coming in at number three is definitely got to be edge the way he pretty much carried himself and carried himself as a heel did, you know, the unthinkable with Lita in the middle of the ring, you know, in that storyline, just the fact that he was the rated R superstar. Um, his, Hold on, his Razor. If you're, wait, wait, wait. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. The rated <laughs> R superstar. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that the announcer was a legend. Um, uh, yeah, that's gonna blow out some mics right now. I can tell you right now. Tony Chimmel. Shout out to Tony Chimmel. <laughs> Sorry to uh, anybody that was listening. Um, <laughs> but number two, definitely John Cena. Um, you 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 can't compare him not being the greatest of all time. I mean, the the rise of his character, the, the rocket that got strapped to his back. The way he was, you know, the doctor of Thugonomics, then switched over to, you know, his character that he has now. The leader of C Nation, yeah. Yeah, you know, he had, you know, the busiest schedule, more more merch sales than anybody. You know, he put asses in seats. Excuse my language, <laughs> um, but you know, nonetheless, you you can't have ruthless aggression without John Cena and vice versa, and definitely number one would be Triple H. I mean, like the points that Jorge brought up earlier, you know, with evolution, with putting over future stars, he knew what he was doing um, and just his line of work. And, you know, my favorite matches of that ruthless aggression era, Triple H is a part of, 
his work is just unmatched. And uh, to me personally, I think he just is the definition of ruthless aggression. Not going to lie. I uh, thought I was going to have some more support for my picks of uh, Spike Dudley, Scott Steiner, and the Hurricane. Just kidding. <laughs> Spike Dudley, future Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give you the Hurricane, but I mean, Scott I know, Steiner. I know, I know, you know Jorge. The, the Thunderous I, Wizard will give you love on the on Scott Steiner for sure. <laughs> I know, I know Jorge's dying pop, pop, on the pop. inside. That's right. Holla if you hear me. No, in all seriousness, though, um, I think I'm actually going to a thousand percent agree with razor on this one uh my number three will be edge um edge made that transition very very seamlessly um again a character that you know we all loved but didn't know you know exactly how they were gonna you know really make their mark as a singles competitor and damn it that that rated r superstar gimmick was just it was fresh it was it was just something that that era just needed. It was the perfect antithesis for the John Cena character at that time. It was a heel that you know, oh yeah, like he's doing some really edgy stuff, but at the same time, it kind of gave you that like scummy, filmy feeling that you get. Like, oh, do I really want to be liking this person? Like they do yeah. so many dastardly things. And by the way, Lita was the perfect person to be along with him for that ride. Sure, and of course there was the real life storyline with those two and Matt Hardy, and it, that that just made everything else just grimier, and it just it it, it really had you buy into him as uh, the heel character. Number two is absolutely John Cena. I know his um, his influence went past this era as well, um, and he had you know his run as the guy, um, but it had to start somewhere, and it, it it blossomed during this era. We saw him become. You know, from the from the doctor of thugonomics into the guy. Yeah, I mean, the guy made a rap album for goodness sakes. He was he was the champ. He had a spinner belt that they used for years, even after that gimmick was was dead and gone. Um, his you know, obviously all the titles he would won, the influence he had uh just on the business in itself with Raw and SmackDown, primarily Raw since he moved back over there, but still. Uh, just the impact he had on the business. And I hate to agree with both of you because I still, to this day, absolutely loathe huge chunks of the reign of terror. There is nobody else than your boy, Triple H, uh, that heads up this era. Uh, the The fact is that um, he was a massive catalyst for basically every other superstar that was made during this era not all but most um and without triple h the business would be in a much different place now does that change the fact that i don't need to see him in main events of wrestlemania's in the late 2010s and 2020s no it doesn't change that the ruthless aggression era was early to late 2000s get out of my main events with your golden shovel of burials anyway that was music I, to my ears. I'm I'm sorry. I could go ahead and care less about what you say about the late 29, so, 2010s and yeah. 2020s. I don't need to see a main event of pay-per-view against Roman Reigns. I'm sorry. I don't need to. Or roadblock end of the line BS with Dean Ambrose. It was just regular roadblock. Roadblock end of the line was like eight months later. I don't I don't <laughs> care. It was a terrible pay-per-view, and I call it by the wrong name on purpose. Anyway, right. the point is, I agree with you. 
that Triple H was a huge catalyst of this era, and uh, he didn't even have to win brown pants to win a title, nor did he have to win purple or wear purple pants. Yeah, let me take. Can, uh, can, so. can I go ahead and just bring your attention to something about John Cena really quickly? Because you mentioned the album, and what's amazing about that album is to this day, I, I, I can't believe it. So he dropped You Can't See Me in 2005. Yo, that album sold 40,000 copies in its first week of release. I still own it, by the way. Do you really? Okay, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) that's so gangster. Um, I'm pretty sure that album went, I think it got rated gold. That's pretty impressive. That's insane to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I apologize. As of October the 8th, 2010, that album sold 1.3 million copies. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's not gold. That album somehow, some way went platinum. You can't see me went platinum in the mid in the height of rap. Are you kidding me? That's that insanity is, to and me. And that is why he is on this list as one of the most influential people of the ruthless aggression era. Yeah, and that's why he's one of the best. Like, and by the way, if you haven't seen the new Fast Nine trailer, <laughs> oh, oh, get you got nothing Fire. coming, man. Holy well, Smokies! Well, yes. look, I mean, that's why. Since we're since we're talking about Cena, I mean the ruthless aggression era is often highlighted by the fact that Kurt Angle's cutting a promo out in the middle of the ring, and John Cena, before he became the John Cena that we know and love, came out with his very basic wrestling gear, got in Kurt Angle's face, and said, uh, "I'm full of ruthless aggression," and started and started wrestling Kurt Angle and fighting Kurt Angle because he was going to step up to the plate and become, you know, I mean his his, his gimmick of the prototype. Yeah, and all those other guys, you know, Orton, Lesnar, Batista, all those guys coming up during that era, which is another just completely. I feel like we have to talk about that at some point on this show too. There's we, so many we things we can to. talk it's about you, of the show. Just, yeah. just the, just the influx of talent during this time period from the from the developmental system. Of course, we know that NXT is a separate band that uh, some people still call developmental. I disagree with that. I don't know if I consider it developmental anymore. But the point is. That uh, back when it was OVW, it was developmental. And, and how many true, massive superstars we got from that era. So I like the list, but I have to now transition to a point in the show that I know that we have all looked forward to, which is our favorite matches of this era. Now, I want to tell you that I want us to talk about them but I don't want us to get off into some massive tangent because I know there's a lot of matches we want to talk about. So when you bring up a match, make sure you bring up some highlights as to why it's special to you. So I will start, actually, since I've been deferring because that's what I do as a good host on this show. But I'm actually going to start because several of these matches we have already covered on TDT's Classic Series, and I'm going to highlight them because, well... I'm wearing the shirt of one of them, so I'm actually going to start it right now. For those of you that obviously are not seeing this because we're doing it in a Zoom call, so there's three of us doing a video Zoom call right now. I'm wearing a Cactus Jack shirt right now. Oh, Mick Foley is Cactus Jack. That wasn't a prevalent character during this era. Ah, but there was a match, a very important match, not only for Mick Foley, not only for Randy Orton, but for Evolution for basically the landscape of that entire year of wrestling and 
the landscape of not only the development of Randy Orton and kind of the passing of the torch to Randy Orton, but how Randy Orton would then transition to the next phase of his career and go on to being one of the greatest superstars, not only of this era, but in the modern day WWE. And that match is the backlash 2004 match that Randy Orton had against Mick Foley slash Cactus Jack, a no holds barred match in which Randy Orton, a member of evolution, the intercontinental champion was defending his title and Mick Foley, who had just been ostracized and beaten down and spat on, finally came out and said, I got to come out as Cactus Jack and teach this guy a lesson. It was one of the most brutal matches during that era, and that era had a lot of brutal matches, but it showcased what could be done within a great storyline, show a little bit of edge, but also at the same time, showcase a different side of Randy Orton in that he wasn't just the snot-nosed kid that followed around Ric Flair and Triple H anymore. Even though he was the guy that was making a name for himself, he was becoming the legend killer. And that was another huge development in not only his character, but for everything he would do going forward. And so for me, you cannot include greatest match of of this era without including Randy Orton versus Mick Foley slash Cactus Jack at Backlash 2004. So that is the first match I'm listing on here. I love it. It's one of my favorite matches, not only of this era, but probably as a wrestling fan that I've gotten to see multiple times. We've covered it on this show, and so I wanted to highlight it uh, to start off us talking about matches. Razor, go ahead and throw us a match that you really loved out of this era. Probably most of the probably the most underrated match, which is also known as probably one of the most bloodiest matches um, of this era. It is JBL versus John Cena. Judgment Day 2005, the I Quit match. Such a banger of a match. I hate you for bringing it up because I was going to put that <laughs> in my list. Now I got to do something else. Go ahead. That match that, is glorious. <laughs> that match made me just glued to the TV, seeing the blood from Cena's face, seeing you know, the involvement with JBL's limo and up on the stage. And it's just the gruesomeness and the violentness of that match. I think to me, put a rocket on John Cena's back. Like, Hey, I'm a bad MFer. I, I will make sure that I won't stop at anything to get my hands on the gold, retain this gold, and become the greatest superstar of all time. I think that is probably one of my favorite matches of his, being a John Cena mark. Um, and just being so glued and so focused to a match, it, it, it's, it's so underrated. This match doesn't, you know, I've talked to people at the Ruthless Aggression era, which matches would you like, this and that. Nobody ever says that match, which is mind-boggling to me. It, it, was, it, it was huge. Yeah, that much is that match is remarkable. Um, everything you said about that match is absolute god honest truth. Um, because you were such a dick in bringing that match up and took it away from me, I'm gonna have to go ahead and switch it up just a little bit. Um, where do I want to go? You know what? 
there's several matches that we've mentioned on this show. There's several on tonight's show, excuse me. And then several matches that we've mentioned on the pod. I want to try and differentiate it up a little bit because I want people to rewatch some of these matches. Um, you can't go wrong with uh, the 60 minute Ironman match between Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle in September of 03 um, on SmackDown. Uh, I believe it was the only televised Ironman match uh, on SmackDown's history. Um, and that decade, I think we only had like three 60 minute Ironman matches that actually took place in WWE. It was Kurt versus Brock, um, trips versus Benoit. And, um, I think Cena and Randy had a, 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 their, their 60 minute Ironman match, I think in 09. Um, so though, and, and that one was different because that that's not even ruthless aggression era. That's like one year afterwards. And it was when they went PG, but the chemistry between Brock Lesnar and Karen Angle is just something that you 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 just can't physically understand. Even watching it on TV, they're just so good with one another. The fact that Kurt Angle was wrestling on a how many times are we going to say it's on a broken freaking neck, not just in the Olympics, but essentially in the ruthless aggression era. He had a broken neck basically that entire time. Look at the match at WrestleMania 19. The way that Brock Lesnar is so delicate yet so stiff with with kurt do you know how much trust that takes in a man do you know how much trust kurt angle had to give brock lesnar that he wasn't going to kill him mid-ring it's insanity um that 60 minute iron man match is so special because you see a guy like brock lesnar who's 6'3 280 he has no business wrestling 60 minutes straight he did it no issues with what i consider to be perhaps the greatest technical wrestler of all time there are there's an argument to be made for four people ever of who the greatest technical wrestler is of all time. Kurt Angle, Bret Hart, Chris Benoit, Ric Flair. That's the argument. That's the only argument. That's, that's it. Um, those two put on incredible show. Um, 60, minute mat- 60 minute Ironman matches can be really tough to watch because you're watching for an hour. And then this one was even trickier because there was television breaks. Ross talks always about the problem with a match happening on live TV. Uh, the commercial breaks will hurt it. This match still didn't get hurt by that. It was, it, it's, and by the way, neither did Triple H and Chris Benoit later that year, uh, late, later the next year. Um, so if you want a recommendation, in regards to what is one of my top ruthless aggression eras of ruthless aggression era matches, it's Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle for the WWE title on SmackDown in o- in September of 03 in a 60-minute Iron Man match. Banger galore. All right. I will uh take my next non-obvious one because I feel like we're all gonna agree on the obvious ones and we'll get to them. So my next one that we have also covered on this show that I will never speak a bad word of is uh, the heart of one of the greatest feuds of this era. It was a match that took place in Toronto, Canada at Unforgiven 2006 in a TLC match. Edge versus John Cena. And I know that um, a lot of people, um, if there is any detractors of this match, is that um, after that match ended, a lot of people thought that um, that Edge was going to be on a slippery slope back down to not being a main eventer. That, of course, did not happen. But uh, him, him crashing into the table at the end of the match, just literally the entire buildup to that match, because, of course, John Cena had lost in Boston. 
um, because Edge won by nefarious means. Um, and just the fact that, you know, John Cena, Mr. Invincible, was, you know, being bested by this just just this heinous character, you know, and of course, you know, you have the whole RVD thing kind of in, in amongst that as well. Yeah. But just that was the that- third time Cena walked into a place that was booing him out of the building in a 12 month time frame. Chicago in March or in April, and then the Hammerstein Ballroom that summer, and then yes. in Toronto. It was insane. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's just that's no, how impressive that was. No, and look, uh, that's that's another reason why John Cena's on this list. For as great of a babyface as he was, he was such a polarizing character. By and I mean, I could go on and on of just John Cena matches that we could talk about during this era. We talked about Triple H. And we'll talk about some other guys that just had banger after banger after banger. Let's not forget John Cena. I mean, we talked we talked a lot about how Triple H was was really carrying this company. John Cena, for a good stretch there in the later part of this era, was basically carrying this company on his back um, with a lot of the match. And look, you could say that Triple H carried the company for a while. Kurt Angle might have might have carried the company. Batista, John Cena was really doing that. And this is just another perfect example. So again, Unforgiven 06 Toronto his uh, his TLC match against Edge. What else you got, Razor? So my next one, my number two spot, since you also took my match, uh, I'm going to switch it up. It's going to be the lead up to the greatest match of all time. Um, this lead-up match happened at the Royal Rumble in 2004. It was a last-man-standing match between Triple H and HBK. That feud, that rivalry, um, the emotions within that feud drew me to that match. And then getting to that match, having both of them beat each other to hell for the longest time. Both of them are bloodied up. Both of them are hurt. They're tired. Um, the emotions that run through that match and the story being told through that match, um, of course, ended up with both of them not being able to answer the count of 10 and Triple H retaining the title and so forth, go on to you know WrestleMania 20. Um, but I think that's also a very underrated match and just that build up and that story, you can't you 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 can't deny the greatness of that match. You got Don Jorge. Um, first of all, the promo that Triple H cut after uh, that Royal Rumble match, um, which is a <laughs> promo package for the triple threat, where he's like, last night two men clawed, bled, fought for the world heavyweight like that line gets me every time you just feel it it's just thick in the air and you knew that the these guys beat the snot out of one another and listen (laughs) triple h blood buckets for this company and he the majority of that came in the ruthless aggression era like I, I, I don't think Triple H can donate blood anymore because he doesn't have enough in his body. Um, so I, I'm torn at number two because there are several matches which I, which I can mention um, 
and I want to go ahead and like, you know, la- I think two days ago, it was the um, 14 year anniversary, or excuse me, the 17, it's been 17 years. Am I saying that right? How, what was 15 years ago? 2006, right? Yes. So, okay, 14 years. Thank you. Um, this isn't the match that I'm going to go with, but if you want to watch a match, uh, John Cena versus Shawn Michaels in London, 40 minutes. One of the best televised matches of all time. Watch that match. But number two, for me, it's Eddie versus Brock at No Way Out in 04. Um, I've been dying to cover that match on this podcast for months. I know that we will at some point, um, perhaps after my sabbatical, which we'll go ahead and discuss at some uh, in, in the next uh, few weeks, what's going on with that. But um, Eddie Guerrero beating Brock Lesnar in San Francisco um, at the Cow Palace is one of those moments that is so surreal that is only really one-upped by one other match. Um, it's just that you you're enamored you are enamored with what that moment meant you're enamored with what that moment read for eddie guerrero for his fans for his family for his friends for professional wrestling um the fact that brock put him put him over like that and that performance from both of those dudes was so special you throw in the goldberg spot which again mattered that 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 moment mattered and it was so big and the, the thing about that is I don't want that to, t- it does. The cool thing is it doesn't take away from it um, because it's just so incredibly important to everything that was going on on that storyline. I'm not sure what the hell is going on. Ross is kind of losing it over here. I don't know why I'm talking about one of my favorite matches of all time. And I'll just hear him snickering everything. Okay. It's, it's a great match. It's not meant to throw you off. I'm just having fun with the fact that, uh, there's so many great memes on Twitter everywhere. So go oh, on. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Just want to make sure. I thought you were making fun of me for picking Eddie versus Brock. I was get to, not I was at about all. to get heated no, for a second not, there. Okay. Not cool. at all. Okay. Not all right, at all. Right. I never I, I never I never make fun of your love of Eddie Guerrero. Okay, so. cool. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. Um, but yeah, no, it that that match, there's a there's a certain level of importance for me uh when it comes uh to it. And uh it's not easily forgotten. I just rewatched it just a few months ago and it's still just as great as it was back in February of 04. I can probably watch it five years from now and it still still t- stands the test of time. And not only does that prove that Eddie Guerrero is one of the top 10 actual physical wrestlers of all time, it goes to show that Brock Lesnar was born for this business a hundred percent. And when he's on it and when he's, when he is ready to go ahead and have fun with somebody in the ring, you get reminded of the fact that God damn Brock Lesnar is really, really good at his job. It's true. It's absolutely true. Um, I don't want to speak for everyone. Uh, I know what my number one is on my list. Um, there's absolutely no question. What's number one on my list. So I almost feel like if we're consensus, all picking the match, I think we're picking, I, I think there are a few other addendums that we can attach to this. I'm not going to be as strict as I was with superstars because I kind of wanted everybody to narrow it down. But since we're talking about matches, look, um, if you've listened to the show for, you know, one episode or every episode since the review show of SummerSlam 2018, uh, you will know that uh, I myself, especially, but uh, pretty much everybody that's ever been associated with this show does not have a bad thing to say about the WrestleMania 20 main event between Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Benoit. Um, It is one of the only five-star matches, I will say, um, 
on my list. Not saying I go by the Meltzer standard or anything, but for me, if that's the baseline of the best matches I've ever seen in my life, um, that's up there. Um, and for me, it is the greatest WrestleMania main event of all time. Um, and it's right smack dab in the middle of this era. And we've talked about it about a thousand times on this show. I don't need to go super deep into it. I've, I've already done my super deep analysis of the match. Um, but it's in this era, so it has to be very high on my list. So there you go. Go ahead, Razor. Razor. See, and, and of course, unanimously, WrestleMania 20, the main event in 2004, um, to me personally, will go down as the greatest match of all time. Um, that's not just me being the, probably one of the biggest Chris Benoit fans, but the emotion from it. You saw at the Royal Rumble him go from entrant number one to the final guy pulling out the big show over the ropes, it, just the unthinkable, right? This guy hasn't had a major world title in WWE. And he's just always seemed like he was on the short end of the stick. And then finally, when he gets in the ring with two of the biggest names in WWE, he is by far the underdog and the emotion that goes through that entire match up to the point of him winning the title holding it up, turning around off of that turnbuckle and seeing Eddie Guerrero, his best friend, his brother, stand in the middle of the ring and they both embrace. One is a WWE champion, one is a world heavyweight champion. And they were the best friends, the brothers, the storyline all culminating and coming together. Um, gee, getting goosebumps even talking about it. I frequently go back and watch that match just so I can feel that raw emotion of, man, this is the peak of a certain era. This is the peak of wrestling in general. Um, it's just a lot of emotions, a lot of investment. And finally, I think, what was it after 16 or 18 years, he finally captured the 16 years. I'm pretty sure JR says that in the commentary. And it's yeah. So tremendous. 16 years of just blood, sweat, and tears always, you know, getting so close, but getting so far away and being as good as he was finally getting the most covenant prize in history um i'm going to mention a variety of different matches that happened in this ruthless aggression era and i just want you to guys here to not just the people on this panel but the people that are listening i want you to hear me out for one second the elimination chamber from 2002 at survivor series uh the tlc match that ross mentioned between cena and edge uh eddie and brock eddie and kurt um Cena and JBL, uh, Triple H and Batista, all three of the matches, in particular the ladders, uh, the Backlash match, and then the Hell in a Cell match at Vengeance. Um, Taker and uh, Edge in the Hell in a Cell match at, at SummerSlam. Um, Edge and, or excuse me, Randy Orton and, 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 and The Undertaker um, at WrestleMania 21. Um, there are Armageddon and Hell in a Cell match. Um, John Cena versus Shawn Michaels in, in, at Mania 23 and the iconic 45-minute banger in, in London. All these matches, they all happened in the, in the Ruthless Aggression era. Okay? They're all iconic. They are all fantastic. They are to be remembered and enjoyed for the entirety of time. 
Oh, by the way, also the triple threat between The Rock, Undertaker, and Kurt Angle at Vengeance 2002, which Ross and I... Thank you. I love Thank that. You. We, we adore that match. June of 02, that is right in the ad, that is right in the middle of the Ruthless Aggression at the beginning of it. It's a beautiful match. Thank you. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I say all these things, ladies and gentlemen, not a, not a one of them holds a candle to what was the triple threat match at WrestleMania 20. And by uh, the way, this is also coming from the person that put that triple threat match at Vengeance above the WrestleMania 20 match. He did. I did. And, and I'm officially stating on this podcast right now that that was a mistake. <laughs> and I retract my, pre, my prior statement from December of 2020. Um, I think I was on, uh, under the influence of perhaps heavy drugs, even though I'm not even a drug addict. Um, that being said... Um, the triple threat match from WrestleMania 20 between Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and, and Chris Benoit is not far and above the best match of this era, but it is the best match of this era. Like, I don't really think there's a, there, there's no longer a question. And by the way, all the matches that I've mentioned as my top three are fantastic. And all the other matches that I just mentioned right now are all fantastic. Oh, by the way, I didn't even mention RVD versus John Cena at one night stand at the Hammerstein ballroom. Like Thank that, you. That, that's, that's also iconic. There's so many iconic matches in this ruthless aggression era, which is exactly the reason why the ruthless aggression era needs to be appreciated for the greatness that it is. But what Triple H and Shawn Michaels did for Chris Benoit that night in Madison Square Garden in New York City, and by the way, their rematch one month late, one month later in um, in Canada, up in um, at uh, in essentially freaking Benoit's backyard. Uh, I can't remember in Edmonton. Thank you. Um, that match was also a banger. Like that's the only ever time that I can think of off the top of my head, both Ross and Razor, that I've ever seen a triple threat match have a direct rematch at the following pay-per-view i can't think of many other matches that have ever done that that's how great that triple threat match was and by the way we've seen iconic triple threats wrestlemania 30 is an iconic triple threat i voted as my number one let me go back right now wrestlemania 30 is actually my number two wrestlemania 20 is my number one i have officially rescinded that i've gone back on my prior statements from december if you want to go back to it and listen to me i was stupid um, <laughs> I lost my cool when I heard that. Not even. I know lie. you're not the only person. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's just it's it, you know sometimes you say things to piss Ross off. I, I realized that not only did I piss Ross off, I, I pissed off the whole entire wrestling community. Um, when I put twenty that low at three, people were like, "Screw you, Jorge." I said I also cursed myself out. I was like, "Jorge, you're an idiot." The Don would not appreciate what you just said. You're, dis you're a disappointment to your family, to your friends, to the community. Screw you. I had a very nice heart-to-heart -heart with myself that day. My point is, all these matches are all iconic, but there's just something about that triple threat that just, it cannot be overstated how great that match is. And it is it encompasses everything that was great about this era. It takes the greatness of Triple H. It takes the greatness of Shawn Michaels. It takes the greatness of Chris Benoit. It takes the greatness of JR and King on commentary and the greatness of what we finally got a chance to see just two months, uh, two weeks ago in Tampa, which is the crowd, um, that crowd and that crowd at MSG was going nuts. I know your dog was going nuts, Razor, and your dog didn't even exist in the year 2004. That match is a banger. It will forever be a banger. I didn't know what I was talking about. I've come and seen the light. J-Man is back in the building. 
he turned babyface. Wow. Well, I mean, you were already a babyface, so if you turned heel, it was not a successful run. So welcome back to being a babyface. The Thank point you. is, I turned heel that night, and it was a terrible, terrible decision. Terrible decision. You were you were not booed. You actually had uh, you actually had turned I had the channel heat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was gonna act- say I got I had a worse reaction than Lacey Evans. Unreal. Uh, did you mention? Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. I didn't even mention one of the all-time okay. greatest WrestleMania matches didn't of all time. I forgot that. about it. I'm glad you mentioned the Vengeance Triple Threat. Uh, yeah. I had referenced Cena and RVD, but was going to save it for this part of the show, which you mentioned it. Totally fine. Didn't step on any toes. Um, I'm going to put this out there right now because I know we're doing this for a TDT's Classic Series because I'm basically saying we're going to do it. And that is that... Um, yeah, all three of the matches between Triple H and Batista, fire, like fire, like we, a thousand percent. We talked before about how Trips put over a, a lot of guys in this era. Um, without Triple H, there is actually without Triple H and the Undertaker, there is, there no, is Batista. no Batista. Yeah, um, because the Undertaker had really weird chemistry with a lot of people, and yet, like Dave Batista, somebody who you wouldn't think he would have really good ring chemistry with. Yeah, they were awesome. By the way, another um, match so. that I forgot to mention, I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it when Tom and I did our Undertaker special back in November. And I don't, I'm not trying to plug that, although I will plug it if you want to listen to that show. It's actually really, it's a show that I'm very much proud of. I highly recommend you take take a listen to it. But uh, the Undertaker and Kurt Angle at No Way Out in 2006. I've gone on record saying that that match is one of the most incredible matches I've ever seen in my entire life. And you want to talk about Undertaker having uh, incredible chemistry with people? Him and Kurt Angle had insane chemistry. And that match at No Way Out in 06 was the height of, even though Kurt Angle was on painkillers galore, like this was wrestling machine on, you know, Percocet's freaking Kurt Angle who would rip your limbs off, but he was the best damn wrestler on the planet at this moment in time that it didn't matter. It was insane. And that match proves that too. So I just want to make sure to mention that. Uh, Razor, is there any other matches you want to uh, add in here before we uh, wrap up here with our final question uh, for Ruthless Aggression uh, as we wrap up this show? Any other matches you want to add? No, you guys pretty much took uh, all my matches that were on my list. Look, look, I know, I know there's a special place in your heart for the handicap match between the Dudley Boys and The Undertaker where Paul Bearer was buried alive in cement. I know that holds a special place in your heart, but uh, no mention of it. Surprising. Just saying. Uh, (laughs) It is what it is. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I buried The Undertaker enough as it is, you know? Yeah, you need to to calm yourself on that. (laughs) What about what about uh, what about any uh, what about any messages or messages? What about any matches involving the ECW WWE bastardized version of the FBI? Any of those matches make your uh, top twenty? Maybe no Nunzio? No, I'm just saying. I like Yo, having there, there was nobody show. else that could sell like Nunzio back in the ruthless aggression era besides Shawn Michaels. Like Nunzio was special at selling when he would. I remember when he did the cross as he took a last ride from the Undertaker. That was tremendous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, shout out to the Spirit Squad once more because uh, DX killed them in like two months. And by the way, you it know was what's great. Under- it was great. But you, before we before you move on, Ross, I just want to give a quick shout out because this match gets underappreciated. But there was a handicap match between Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Vince, Shane, and Big Show at that same Unforgiven show between John Cena and, T- and Edge in the TLC match. Hmm. Their Hell in a Cell match, yo, that was 
That was a violent match. Vince McMahon took a beating and a half in that match. And I'm pretty sure he had his face stuck up Big Show's ass that night. And it that was is, not pretty. Uh, wow. Well, I know that uh, I know that concierge Don Jorge over here will include any match involving his boy, Jonathan Coachman, as well. But, uh, you yeah, know. Shout out to the coach, though. <laughs> coach is a GOAT Hall of Famer. Put it in there, Vince. He he's hard hitting and he's back breaking. Anyway, that uh, that being said, <laughs> our final topic of the show, as uh, as I see the uh, as I see the dogs of uh, Razor making an appearance, Kylo and Athena. Those of you that uh, can't see the video, love them. Can't wait to see them again. Uh, so the last thing I want to end with is uh, where does this era, the ruthless aggression era, where does it stand? Um, not only in the time of world wrestling entertainment, but just in wrestling in general. I know we've talked about how, you know, one of you said this is the greatest era ever. It's one of the greatest eras ever. And again, I've had this conversation before. Uh, bias inherently is always treated as something that is bad. Um, but in a way, we all have our bias and our biases when it comes to certain experiences that we have in life or certain things that we are experienced to. And not all bias is considered bad. It's just a matter of what we experience as individuals with what we consume, what we're taught and what we're raised on. And so as wrestling fans, again, I preface this with, I'm talking to two people that are around 30 years old and I am 35. So my experience as a fan is different than both of theirs just simply based on the fact that I started being a wrestling fan earlier than they did. That doesn't make it an inherently, you know, better. I, you know, better or not. It's just a matter of, I got to experience more of the attitude era than maybe they did. So if I grew up at the same time and became a wrestling fan, the same time the two other people on this panel did, I might think differently. Um, I also mentioned that I took a break at the very start of this era, which has also kind of clouded part of this era for me that I have gone back and rewatched and gone to appreciate. So where does this era, and I'll start with Jorge, where does this era, you know, rank for you when it comes to not only the importance for you, but more importantly, just the importance for WWE and of course, pro wrestling. You know, that's an excellent question, my friend. I will say that from an importance to professional wrestling as a whole, I think that I want to be very careful with how I say this. If you look at it from a professional wrestling standpoint, it probably has to be number two because the Ruthless Aggression era um, came off the heels of what was the Attitude Era, of course. And the Attitude Era had to be great in order for a company to survive, right? So when you when you're backed into a corner, you got to be on your tippy toes. You don't know what's going to happen the next week. You don't know what WCW is about to pull out of the hat. WCW had the had the fact that they were live for a lot longer than WWF was at the time. So Raw was pre-recorded, and you know Eric Bischoff had the brilliant but dickish idea to go ahead and like actually say the results of Raw as War back on you know live on Nitro and whatnot. Of course, that ended up backfiring on him. But my point is, from a from, from an industry point of view, uh, attitude error has to be number number one. But when you when you look at the entirety, the entire body of work 
that was the ruthless aggression era. First of all, it was longer. That's the first thing. It went from 2002 to 2008. You know, the attitude era really went from 98 to 01, 97 to 01. It was like half of 97. It wasn't even the full year. So it's like four and a half years compared to a full six years. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, the fact that it was the ruthless aggression era was even able to go ahead and continuously happen as you lost people such as Stone Cold Steve Austin, such as The Rock. Mick Foley basically went into part semi-retirement in this at this point. Like, yeah, he had his match. By the way, we didn't mention Edge versus Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22. I don't know why I forgot about that, but that needs to be mentioned as well. Um, but that's my point. You see what I'm saying? The fact that they, in 2002 on, they lost so many heavy hitters, and yet they came back with no competition and said, we're still going to swing for the fences. And then you got John Cena, and then you got Dave Batista, and then you got Randy Orton, and then Edge was looked at as, oh, wow, this guy's actually got the potential to carry our company. And then they gave him the ball and he ran with it. And the fact that people were able to reinvent themselves in this era, such as Chris Jericho, such as Triple H, because he completely reinvented himself, right? Triple H went from, you know, DX to, you know, the McMahon Helmsley faction. And then he ran the show all by himself with evolution, with no backup. Uh, that, 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 that was that, like, you know, the backup that was Vince and the, and the whole, you know, monster that was that, um, and Undertaker reinvented himself once more. You mentioned, I mentioned all these people, the fact that it was that everybody was able to go ahead and instead of continuously doing the same thing, but having the creative freedom for themselves to say, let's just try something a little bit different. And because they did that, and then they incorporated all these other great things on top of that, including Kurt, obviously, and Ray and Eddie and all those great guys. And by the way, Bobby Lashley had a huge, immense, huge impact in the Ruthless Aggression era back then. We forget about that because of where he is now, of course. But because of all that and because of the entertainment and the greatness that it brought me, I got to put Ruthless Aggression number at number one as well. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going with Razor. Um, it means so much. And I think it has to do with the level of attention that I was paying to it when I was that age. Whereas, you know, I remember specific things about the Attitude Era, but I remember everything about the Ruthless Aggression Era and, and what it did, what the, the viewpoint that it gave me in professional wrestling, that, that's, that's what's really important to me. And the fact that we have just as many goats come out of that era as we did the attitude era is unbelievably mind-blowing to me unbelievably mind-blowing and so yeah so i think from an industry viewpoint i think ruthless aggression era is right right behind the attitude but from a personal standpoint it's above the attitude era for me that's number one razor what you got so since uh jorge already kind of threw out some points there i think ruthless aggression um I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a tough call because, you know, the attitude era is the be all of end all, you know, it's, it, you know, the greatest of all time, you know, and all the feuds and the superstars and the legends that came out of that era. 
But I have to say Ruthless Aggression goes above that only because you have some of those superstars from the Attitude Era come over to the Ruthless Aggression Era and help make future superstars. Not only that, we got a new show in SmackDown. We got the World Heavyweight Championship back. We have so many opportunities for all these top-tier talents and all these talents that are coming up from developmental, um, just mixing and matching and, you know, the drafts every year and just the different opportunities and different matches and the different storylines that we see from that. Um, You have the rise of the Batistas, the John Cena's, the Randy Orton's. You know, you have superstars from the Attitude Era like Triple H, Ric Flair, you know, Edge, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, you know, they, the JBL, they made their careers, I think, during the Ruthless Aggression Era versus the Attitude Era. You saw that progression in the talents that made them the legends that they are today. And that was from the Ruthless Aggression Era. So me personally, not just because like the whole bias thing, you know, just because I grew up on this era. It's not because of that. It's honestly because of the talent progression throughout the Ruthless Aggression era and the different opportunities and that we got to see and that we got to appreciate and know today. So Ruthless Aggression definitely is number one with Attitude Era right behind it. Uh, I will just briefly say that uh, I know that the Attitude Era has been put under a much closer microscope recently for some of the things that they did that um, would not or could not be done today. And um, I just want to remind people that um, without the Attitude Era, um, the pro wrestling business very succinctly could have had a period of kind of dark times Um, And what I mean by that is there have been lulls in popularity when it comes to a lot of different things and the business needed a jumpstart. And that is why I will always give praise to what the attitude era stood for. I know this is a ruthless aggression podcast, but I had to get that two cents in very quickly about the attitude era. I'm not saying people crap all over it, but I think people have rose colored glasses on certain aspects of it. Um, and at some levels it's fair and at other levels, it's totally unfair. Uh, when it comes to ruthless aggression, there were still some things that would not be done or could not be done today. Um, but there were a lot of advancements that happened during this period. Um, and without this era, we would not have some of the mainstays that we are used to as wrestling fans, uh, when it comes to the actual promos and video packages and, the superstars and how stories were told and the variety of different things that they tried during this era because they could, because they were competing with themselves for a lot of this. Um, And so without it, um, the business would be in a much, much different place. Uh, Not quite to the level that the attitude era was, or at least that's my opinion, um, but on a similar plane parallel to it of um, positive and negative influences on the business and it just being the fact that it existing uh helped uh perpetuate some of the things that we know and love uh for this business so 
Uh, this has been an excellent podcast. I knew it was going to be because uh, we're all deep down very much fans of this business. And this era does not get talked about enough. I know that Jorge and I have talked about matches in this era, but it was good to kind of just isolate uh, some other things. By the way, another guy, I forgot to mention this, and I will close on this. Another guy that does not get the credit during this era for really breaking out and showcasing what the WWE could do with new talent that was already established talent and showcasing somebody else. You know what superstar we have not mentioned throughout this entire thing? Booker T. Who, by the way... Oh, how dare I? Who, by the way, was such an established... Look, he had become an established main event guy in WCW. Out of the limited talent they got from WCW, he was a guy that came over and said, give me the ball, and he worked his ass off, and he got to a point where he was a bona fide star once again for a company that didn't have him. The WCW guys were looked down upon him for, or, or, or I should say the WCW guys were looked down on at first because they were competition and Booker T just went in there, worked his ass off. Like he always was as the five time WCW champion. And guess what? He was not only one of the most respected people in that locker room because of his work ethic and everything he brought to the table, but he's another guy in this era that made this era what it was simply based on the fact that he was different. And I'm not just talking about the fact that he's Booker T and pretty much everything about him was different than pretty much everything else. But what I'm saying is he, he stood out in so many ways with who he was as a character and as a performer. And I'm not saying he gets lost, but he's a guy that I had to mention before the show ended because he is such a crucial part of what, the business became, which was this melding into all WWE, and yet we still had stars that WWE did not make, and Booker T is a big part of that. Not only his original character, but the evolution of that character as well. Yeah, and Booker course. T, with, with all of his matches with Chris Benoit, by the way, mm-hmm. and all the other... <laughs> just Just everything. I mean, the whole... My gosh, I could go on and on about Booker T. He he is my favorite WCW wrestler, probably probably of all time. I mean, Booker T um, is quite amazing. I mean, you know, the, the one detriment that obviously gets placed on Booker T is the fact that, you know, somebody in the back made the call to go ahead and have Triple H pin him after like an hour, uh, of course, you know, and that's not... That's nobody's fault except whoever made that call backstage. It's just stupid. But and yet, I mean, he made King yet, Booker work, dude. He made King yet, Booker work. Oh, not only did he make King Booker work, he made Booker T and Gold Dust work. Oh, okay? yeah. It's un- unreal. And, and, and you know what? You mentioned him and Benoit. They had a, a best of seven, a best of five series, if I'm not mistaken, for the U.S. title back in like, mm-hmm. like what was that? Uh, late 04 or something mm-hmm. like that. Late, late 05, something. It, it was underrated. Um, and here's another statistic for you. I remember this specifically because this was during the time that I was watching SmackDown, but when JBL was WWE champion from mid 04 into early 05, he went on a stretch of like four months where he wasn't pinned in a match. Would you like to know the first person who pinned him during that reign? Yes. He didn't lose the title, but it was in the tag team match. The first pinned him, the first person who pinned him for the first time, in like five months, Booker, Booker freaking T. And that's a statistic that always, for whatever reason, stays ingrained in my brain. He was one of the top baby faces in 05 on SmackDown. He turned heel later. He won King of the Ring. He won the World Heavyweight Championship. He was great. He left, came back. 
just Booker's awesome, dude. Booker's the man. He he was a huge part of that ruthless aggression era as well. So I needed to mention that, and I should have earlier, but I had to make sure that he got his kudos on this show because I know everybody on this show, and pretty much if you're a wrestling fan, you appreciate pretty much everything that is the man, Booker T. Hey, uh, there's not a lot of people who get a song named after you. Can Just you saying. dig it? Sucka. Shout out to Bad Listen, Bunny. Represent. Let's go. Yeah, shout out to Bad Bunny. So that is our discussion of the ruthless aggression era here on the Double Turn Podcast. We want to thank our guest, Razor, for joining us. Razor, go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they can find you uh, for all of the things that you do. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's always an honor to hang out with the homies and talk some wrestling. But you can find me on Twitch, Instagram, now TikTok, and Twitter under the name Let Me Paint Please. As trolly as that sounds, that is that those are my handles. So yeah, man. I appreciate you guys uh, allowing me on here. It's so artistic. I I, I love the fact that. That's what it is. It took me a minute to try and figure it out. But once I reread your bio, I was like, oh, I get it. He just wants to be artistic and he wants to be left alone for his art. I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, Razor, I love you, man. You're so awesome. When I grow up, I want to be like Razor. (laughs) Says the one that's older than me, but, you know, too sweet, man. (laughs) Yeah, but appreciate you guys having me on here. Indeed. You can find uh, this show. We are, of course, brought to you by Wabam Entertainment. Now the Double Turn Podcast. That's W-O-B-A-M Entertainment. You can check us out there. You can also check out all of our episodes back from the review show of SummerSlam 2018 on one of our many platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. Again, that is the Double Turn under podcasts. We talk wrestling we go on tangents. We like to have fun. Don Jorge, what do we got on next week's show, sir? Um, we are ending our um, TDT mashup month on a bang. We're doing a Megapod to end all Megapods. Uh, wrestling with respect and through the table on at the same time. It's going to be insane. It's going to be very good fun. We're talking the best NXT takeover matches of all time. And it's just going to be ri- ridiculous. I don't, I'm going to try and keep it in order. I don't know how I will do everything in my power to go ahead and pull a Ross <laughs> and keep things in order, which is really hard to do, but I will do my best. And then um, Ross might be sneaking, a, sneaking in a, a, a little bonus episode. Um, a lot of stuff happened over on impact over the last few days. Yeah. So, so I, I think so. a minute of impact needs to come back there, buddy. Uh, there are a lot of things that need to come back on this show, but uh, needless to say, for those of you who've been living under a rock, Kenny Omega is the Impact World Champion, and there was a debut. Big Cass showed back up on Impact Wrestling as W. Morrissey. I have a feeling I'm going to drop a special episode that involves Impact, maybe their short relationship with AEW as well. But yes, TNA or Impact, they have an affinity with giving one guy lots of belts. They did it with Kurt Angle. They did it with Bobby Lashley. And now they're doing it with Kenny Omega. So Alberto, Alberto Del Rio also was a was a double title holder, wasn't no, he? No, I'm, I'm talking about like 
I'm talking about like four belts at once. Oh, this is true. Yes. That's so, a good point. Um, yes. I believe Alberto Kenny Omega, only had two. <laughs> and I believe Kenny Omega right now has three. Yes. Um, so, he is, I think he's still the AAA heavyweight champion in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And now he's the Impact World Champion. And of course, uh, he is holding the belt for all elite wrestling Unreal. as well. So. Uh, again, thank you to Razor for joining the show. Let me paint, please, on all of his platforms. Uh, check that out. Very good content. Even TikTok now. So go check that out. Uh, but that is going to do it for this episode of the Double Turn Podcast for the J-Man on Boss Ross. And we will catch you on the flip side.